This podcast was recorded on Bunurong, Bunurong country and on the country of other traditional owners. I would like to pay my respect to elders both past and present. Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples were Australia's first scientists. Their knowledge and connection to country continues to inform our understanding of birds and of nature. Welcome to Weekend Birder. I'm your host and fellow learner, Kirsty Costa. 367 Collins Street is a building located in Melbourne's CBD on Wandry Country. Since 1991, peregrine falcons have been observed in a nest on the rooftop of this large building, which has 34 floors and is 153 metres tall. Thousands of people per year enjoy watching CCTV footage of the birds as they lay and hatch their chicks. And this is all thanks to Dr. Victor Hurley and his team. Victor currently works as a fire ecologist and a planning officer, and the Victorian Peregrine Project is a personal hobby. Here's how Victor first got into birds. Growing up in suburban Melbourne, southeast Melbourne, I, I was always interested in nature, but I was a bit of a fish out of water growing up in the burbs so it was hard to see a lot of nature but there were a lot of parks and gardens where I could rummage around and collect insects and that sort of thing. I remember building a cage in my backyard for cicadas to breed in which horrified my parents in turn and over time once I left high school I got interested in sort of what I call formal bird watching actually you know understanding different species and buying a, a guide you know a simple photographic guide or a, a drawing guide of the different species and joined BirdLife Australia and uh, went out on some weekend trips purely for bird watching. And so it grew from there and my interest um, turned to raptor conservation because no one seemed to be terribly interested in them. And it wasn't that I had a particular fascination with uh, things that kill other things. It was just simply that no one else cared about them that much. They were all sort of interested, but not to the point of doing anything. And I thought, well, that's a much... Uh, understood group of birds. So how about I take up a, a keener interest in them? After starting out as a volunteer researcher with BirdLife Australia, Victor learnt why some scientists were hesitant to study birds of prey. They live a long time. They breed at really low densities. Their nests can be hard to find if they build a new nest every year. And they travel really long distances after they leave the nest. But Victor was up for the challenge. So when I joined BirdLife Australia, one of the groups that they had was the raptor group, and that was of keen interest to me. For me, it sort of got me thinking about conservation questions that I was interested in or ecological questions about peregrine falcons. So the literature spoke about this this odd occurrence of peregrines breeding in tree hollows in Victoria and stick nests of other birds. Now, remembering falcons as a group, all of them, all six species in Australia and across the world, falcons don't build their own stick nest. They know what a nest is and they can breed in one, but they're lousy tenants. They don't maintain it. They never pay their rent and then they bugger off and adopt another one. And so whereas peregrines prefer to nest on a cliff ledge uh, or a cave in a cliff uh, with a rocky or a sandy substrate, and they dig a little scrape the way a seabird that nests, say, 20 centimetres above sea level, peregrines will do the same thing, but they want to be about 200 metres above sea level. So um, they've got this what's considered fairly primitive nesting technique. Um, and you would think that that would then limit their distribution to where there are cliffs. And in Victoria, because it's a relatively flat part of the planet, they're in fact using stick nests and tree hollows the way you know a large forest owl would or something. And they're mostly 
breeding within the distribution of river red gum and not necessarily in river red gum trees but in within their distribution and as the name suggests river red gums occur near water and peregrines love to eat things that fly and near wetlands and rivers you have lots of duck and grebe and quail and other things hanging around high biodiversity wherever there's water in the Australian landscape so so in order for peregrines to be able to access that food they, they need to live nearby and in order to be able to breed nearby they're going to have to adopt something other than a cliff because there's just not going to be that many cliffs in say the Mallee or other parts of Victoria that are low-lying. So one of the first questions was well gee are these, are these um, birds that are breeding in stick nests or tree hollows are they imprinting on that nest substrate as young and then only nesting in that sort of nest in their later lives? They don't breed till they're three, so sit around, wait patiently for you know, them to get three years of age and then run around furiously and try to identify as many adults with bands on legs at all sorts of nests to see not just if they're going back to, say, another stick nest, but are they moving onto a building or a cliff or a tree hollow or, you know, are they doing something different? And so that was the driver for the project is this question about, hmm, what's going on with those tree nesting guys? Are they are they isolating themselves genetically and behaviourally because they are imprinted on the nest type there? born on and it turns out they're not the advent of digital photography in the last decade especially has really lifted the number of sightings and um, positive sightings of birds have been photographed by people who i've never met before and then through facebook or some other mechanism they find me with this picture that they'll post to me and so that's a great way of enhancing the banding effort where other people are finding recoveries for you whereas in the first oh, 20 years of the project there was none of that if we didn't sight the bird with our own telescope it wasn't ever found again occasionally you get dead ones so they'd be hit by a car or something so they'll they will turn up but live sightings of birds you know, breeding or not, with bands on, was just unheard of. So the digital photography revolution has made this science really open to um, citizens being involved who are not directly either aware of the project or involved. It's really great. There are lots of birds of prey in Australia and they can be tricky to tell apart. Thankfully, we have our friend Victor here to teach us about how to identify a peregrine falcon in the wild. They're a very compact, sleek kind of bird. The Barrel-chested is the other phrase that springs to mind because they're such strong flyers and very pointy, swept-back wings. So that's the general shape of the thing. So pointy wings, uh, fast wing beat, and then yeah, fairly compact in, in their body size. They have a black hood, uh, which covers all of their face and the sides of their cheeks and the back of their neck. But on the front, below this sort of hood, is a white or cream bib. Uh, and that contrast is really obvious with the adults especially. Um, so I'm just describing adult plumage at the moment. So on the further down the front, they have, it looks like a, a milk coffee base colour with a whole lot of black horizontal fine bars. And then big thumping yellow feet or talons. Um, they've got huge feet. And in fact, they're um, a unique subspecies to Australia. And their Latin name is Falco peregrinus macropus. So macro comes from Latin, meaning large. Pus comes from the Greek pod, meaning foot. So basically, they're the Ronald McDonald of falcons. They've got big thumping feet. Their favourite prey species is the galah. And so anyone who's handled an angry parrot will know that they've got a capacity to bite back. So you need to be able to overpower these things and subdue them pretty quickly. And so these feet are built for that sort of gear. So the back of the bird then is a beautiful dark slaty grey. There are underwing 
uh, bars and stripes as well as on the tail. So essentially you've got a black hood, a white boot bib and a slaty grey back to them and these 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 bright yellow feet and they've also got a bright yellow eye ring and a sear. The sear is that soft fleshy bit between the base of the beak and the start of the feathers on a bird's forehead and they have two little holes in there which is where their nostrils are. They will, um, uh, you'll see that yellow sear, S-E-R-E as it's called, the sear if it's a really bright, almost you know, orange-yellow, it means they're in peak physical health condition. If it's really faded and pastel-coloured, then you know they're not doing too well. And when they come into shelters or vet clinics um, injured, the sear is often a good indication that they're in poor condition and have been for some time. As a beginner birder, that is, someone who doesn't take birdwatching too seriously, I've discovered that there can be visual differences between an adult and a young bird, which is also known as a juvenile. Peregrine falcons fall into this category. The juveniles, brown hood, a sort of a uh, strong milky tea base to the, the bib on the front and then vertical splotches down the body instead of those horizontal bars. And then the back, so the hood and the back of the feathers are brown, dark brown. And so you're get, getting the sense of the adults have horizontal bars on the front and a black hood. The juveniles have these vertical bars and a brown hood and are generally a brown colour. All birds of prey have some juvenile plumage, which is quite distinctive visually to an adult. And this protects them from being attacked by adults because they look so differently. This is such a territorial group of species that they will kill um, another adult coming near their nest. Whereas if they can see it's just a juvenile, they go, oh, it's a local teenager dagging around. I can chase those off. I don't have to kill them. Whereas if it's another adult, there's murder on the menu. They'll just kill them. They're not interested in mucking around and all adults know this. So they're pretty wary. Whereas the juveniles, teenagers, what can you say? They don't know how to dress. They dig around. They do stupid things. They get into trouble. And the peregrine felons are fairly tolerant of that. But they will chase them away, but they don't feel the need to, to kill them. The only other species that is close looking to a peregrine falcon is a little falcon and these are fairly easy to confuse because they're very similar in shape the little falcons tend to be smaller now one thing i haven't covered yet i'll briefly digress is with all birds of prey the females are larger than the males now this is called reverse sexual dimorphism and dimorphism die means two and morph is shape so you know and reverse means the opposite so it's the opposite size ratio to every other bird species if you see a larger member of a raptor species sitting standing next to a slightly smaller one the little guy's the male the bigger one's the female um little falcons are smaller again so a female little falcon they're also called australian hobbies so just just be aware with most um, birds, they have several common names, which is why we scientists like the idea of having Latin names because those don't change unless the geneticists, the gel jockeys change um, the nomenclature. The Latin tends to stay the same. A female little falcon will be almost as big as a male peregrine, whereas a male little falcon is going to be even so much smaller again. You'd go, no, no, that's not a peregrine. It's too small. The big distinguishing difference between them is they both have a hood, whereas that and, and a, a bit of a pale bib, whereas with the, the peregrines, I've sort of been describing this tannin stain sort of front with either stripes or bars whereas with the hobby it's real rusty orange on the front so you'll have a pale bib sure but you'll get this very rusty orange that is a lot deeper here than in color and this sort of orange color compared to the the tannin stained front of a 
uh, either adult or even juvenile peregrine falcon. Um, and the other key distinguishing feature is the hood isn't complete with hobbies. They'll have a black cheek patch and around their ears and their eyes, but their top of their head, they'll have like a, a pale forehead, a bit like they've been belting their against a brick wall too often, and then a, a grey cap above that. Ah, the world of bird identification. Don't stress if you can't remember what Victor just said about how to tell the difference between male, female and juvenile peregrine falcons and how to tell these birds apart from the little falcon, which is also known as the Australian hobby. There are lots of apps and books that will help you tell these birds apart and we will explore some of these tools in future episodes. Victor says that when it comes to identifying birds, we should be looking at much more than the appearance. And with all bird watching, it's interesting to sort of recall that um, what the bird's doing and what habitat it's using is really important. So peregrines are famous globally because not only do they have a global distribution, but they're the fastest terrestrial vertebrate on the planet. I don't know why we have to distinguish terrestrial because I, I don't know many fish or whales that swim faster than peregrines can dive. But anyway... That's the, that's the line we apparently have to run with. Um, so at that speed, parents don't want to be hunting in amongst the bushes, you know, because one mistake and you're going to rip off a wing because you're going to hit a branch or a leaf or something. So um, parents prefer to be, you know, much more wide open country hunters or higher altitude. Whereas I've seen hobbies um, in the gardens around the Shrine of Remembrance um, diving in to thick bushes to chase sparrows, you know, feet first and just closing their wings and diving in or or trying to chase starlings or whatever. So if I see that behaviour, go, no, nah, the peregrine's not going to do that. No, not only do they have this specialty where they dig a scrape on a rocky or sandy ledge or they steal a nest off some other bird and don't try to build their own, their other specialty is they only hunt things that are flying. In over 2,000 nest site visits across 30 years, I've found two prey items that weren't birds. So if it flies, it's on the menu. Victor has been monitoring the peregrine falcons that live on top of 367 Collins Street for many years. He's watched the birds come and go and has also observed how challenging it can be for these falcons to live in a city environment. They were first detected in 1991 breeding and I laid their eggs in a rain gutter on, I don't know, the 34th level of the building. Um, Naturally, those failed to hatch because, you know, September in Melbourne and rain, it just acted as a heat sink. And so the eggs couldn't get, parents couldn't get the eggs warm enough for long enough to successfully incubate them. The next season, some nest boxes were put in and they have been, a a pair have been there for most years ever since. Now, there have been about eight females and seven males have been at that site that we know of. There was a gap of about a decade when no banded birds turned up and we weren't we didn't have the webcam so we weren't able to distinguish between one and the other that's that's been the history of the site so 26 breeding events in 30 odd years um there's about five years where the site went vacant on both occasions the both adults died of um we believe, incidental poisoning from people using uh, a chemical that now I believe is banned from the industry. Uh, Someone was trying to control pigeons and according to Melbourne City Council, we don't know who it was, but it would have been without a permit because they weren't authorising use of that chemical in the CBD and it did happen close to the the nest site, this poisoning event. And then you got this this dying pigeon that the parents are going to grab and they fed it to the young 
all the young died and both adults are dead and so the site just went vacant for a couple of years so that's happened twice other than that there's been a series of turnovers where one adult's died and been replaced and the older surviving adult who's got all the street cred and you know knows where all the good places to eat in town are they show the new bird the ropes so there's this overlap sometimes you'll have a single male for maybe five years and two maybe three females unfortunately go through in quick succession other times the pair might be together for six years about four one or both um die for whatever reason victor has been raising awareness about the collins street falcons for many years this led to Mervac, the owners of the building, installing a webcam in 2017. And then in 20, I think the same year, uh, uh, a now friend of mine, who I didn't know at the time, Lee, Lee Stillart, set up a Facebook group, 367 Collins Falcon Watchers Group. And um, so that has grown in leaps and bounds and it's now got, uh, it's growing and it's got over 33,000 members. But in 2021, when there was an earthquake, it was during uh, September, during the incubation period, and the male peregrine happened to be on the eggs when this earthquake struck. This is fairly high. This is 35 storeys high, this building, and they're you know, on one of the lower levels, and the building's shaking, and a lot of these buildings have antennas and telecommunication structures on the top, and I can, you can see in the vision the male is looking up. He can hear this gear on top of the building rattling because it, the building's shaking with the earthquake. Then he gets up off the eggs, he walks to the ledge, and he looks up as if to sort of like, can you keep the racket down? I'm incubating eggs. And it doesn't stop, and so then he just flies off. He dives off, and um, the Guardian newspaper, paper contacted me from London and said, oh, could we have a copy of that 10-second clip? And I said, sure, you know, contact Mervac, they own it. Um, and they sent it to him and they posted it on the Guardian website. They had 186 million views in five days. Um, you know, that old thing, if, if, if you want to protect something, the first thing you've got to do is understand it in order to appreciate it and then to conserve it. So my small contribution in that three-step process is introduce people to peregrines, wild birds in the city. It's it's a bit unusual. Uh, there's lots of other cities around the world that have got them, but it's the only pair in Melbourne. Um, and we've made it such a big Melbourne story um, over the years. Victor has been watching and loving wild birds for many years. Here are his two pieces of advice for beginner bird watchers. There's about three different bird guides, big enough to fit inside your glove box. There's over 650-odd species of birds in Australia, so, you know, it's hard to make the thing fit inside, you know, the back of a postage stamp. You know, there's, there's, it's, there really are a lot of birds. Um, so have a good field guide that you can carry. Don't get a big coffee table size book because you're just not going to carry it with you out in the field. And secondly, good optics binoculars. You don't have to get a telescope for most bird watching, but a good quality brand of binoculars is really essential because long after you've forgotten the price you will always regret cheap binoculars no matter how cheap they were you'll still regret them whereas if you get good quality obviously add them to your house insurance but you know quality and this is everything it makes the the enjoyment of bird watching so much better if you can see the birds clearly many thanks to victor for his continued commitment to bird conservation research and education you can quickly find out about the Victorian Peregrine Project and the Falcons at 367 Collins Street with a quick internet search or by checking out the links in this episode's notes. You can also find the latest news at weekendbirder.com. Thanks for tuning in. Now it's time to get out there and see if you can spot a peregrine falcon or some other awesome bird of prey in your area.